Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. All right. That's some real Nintendo 64 right there vibes, right? Some of y'all just went back in time, NFL Blitz 2000, like that's, or some of you, that's like Atari, I don't know, I don't know what that's like, but some of you do. Um, well, hey, we're in our series, When Life Gives You Lemons, and our senior pastor had a lemon happen to him this week. He went jogging at the young age of 67, um, and he, and I'm going to try to tell a story like he told it to me. That he was just, you know, just a little bit of jogging, a little bit of sprinting. Um, and then he was three doors down from his house, and he says he felt a pop. And so he was very, very worried that he had blown out his knee. Thank God he didn't. He just strained his ligament. And, um, and he will be back on Tuesday for midweek, and so nobody worry. All right, he's here. And if you haven't seen him, he's on a crutch. And if you haven't gotten the chance to see him, don't worry. He's going to come find you because he really wants you to see him on that crutch. And he really wants you to just, you know, just be sympathetic. And he said he'll accept gift cards right now. That's, God puts that on your heart. And uh, anyways, but no, he's, he's totally fine. He'll be back next week. And so anyways, I get the opportunity to preach to you guys today. We're in the series of Life Gives You Lemons. Um, and, uh, and how many know, like, hey, the little more you get older, right? Like, after, like, 35, right? 35, for some of you, maybe a little older. For some of you, maybe a little younger. But, but I'm going to say 35 is kind of the age where, where you get hurt, and what used to take, you know, a week all, all of a sudden takes a month, right? Like, I, and you're kind of, like, you get hurt, and after a while, you're just like, this is my life now. Like, I'm just going to live this is this how it's going to be for the rest of my life? And that's, sometimes I can feel like that, right? Like lemons, but it can happen when you're young. I'll tell you a story about when I was really young, I was in uh, homeschool. Um, and, and in homeschool, I had a couple things happen to me. Number one, I got chicken pox, okay, I, when, when you could get that. And uh, so I got chicken pox. I broke my arm. So I had a cast on while I had chicken pox. That was fun, right? Okay, so I was doing the whole hanger thing. Kids will never know. I had the hanger in there, scratching my chicken pox. And then I had spilled hot chocolate. My mom wanted me to feel better, right? So she made me some hot chocolate and I was trying to hold the hot chocolate with my cast and it slipped and it burned my chest, right? Now, all of this, I would assume would get you out of school. But my mom looked at me, right in my eyes and said, welcome to homeschool and made me do homework. I was so upset, right? And sometimes life can feel like that, right? Like where things just happen over and over. You get one injury, takes a long time. And then, oh, you went to the gas pump and you're like, oh boy, here we go. Like, like it's just all these things that can sometimes happen, right? We have seasons of life where it just seems like all you're doing is dodging lemons. And then you have these other seasons where everything to be, seems to be going right, right? Like all of your jokes are funny, right? Your family's finally laughing at those jokes that you've been telling forever. Um, you got that job promotion uh, for you younger people, like that girl texted you back finally. Uh, you know, all those kind of things, right? Like life just seems to be going really, really well. And that's kind of where we are at in the story with Joseph, right? So just a quick recap before we head into, if you want to turn, you can turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. Um, but just a quick recap, Joseph is the guy whose life we are going through, going through this idea of when life gives you lemons. And it starts off with him being the favored son. And then his brothers are very jealous. So they uh, stage his death. 
he is thrown into a pit. They are actually going to kill him. And then, you know, some sort of moral judgment comes in and say, ah, don't kill him. We'll just sell him as a slave. So they sell him as a slave. He ends up in the house of a pagan, uh, like a high-ranking official. His name is Potiphar. He is the captain of the guard. They would call it captain of the guard, maybe captain of the bodyguard. Um, even some commentators would say that he was the chief of the executioners. Um, some say that he could have been a eunuch because many people inside Pharaoh's like kind of really close uh, uh, knit kind of hierarchy would have been eunuchs, so they would have been castrated. And so this is not a man. This is a man that has things done to him and has probably done things to people, right? Like this is not the man you want to mess with. And Joseph ends up in his house. But because the Lord is with Joseph in this house and because he works hard, and we kind of learned about this last week from Pastor Jim, that the Lord blesses Joseph and Potiphar sees that everything that Joseph touches, like everything that Joseph does, it just ends up being really good. And so he kind of rises in the ranks of the slaves up, up, up until he is the he is the most high ranking person in that household besides Potiphar himself. And so if you look at Genesis 39 verse 6, you'll see it say it right there. It says, so he left everything, this is Potiphar speaking, so he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him, there he did not concern himself with anything except the food for which he ate. So the only thing Potiphar's worried about is the food that he's going to eat. And then it says this, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So not only is Joseph doing good, he's looking good while he's doing it. Isn't that like the perfect, right? That's like everything that's great. Like not only are you awesome, but then you look awesome. Like that's like, you got the perfect outfit, you're doing great. People are, like that is where Joseph is. He is at the height of everything that, that could be at his moment in life, right? I'm sure he doesn't want to still be a slave, but for the moment that God has him, he has risen to pretty much the highest he could be. The number one in the household, looking good, feeling good, doing good. It just is all is so good. And some of us have been in that moment, right? We've at least had like one or two of those. Some of us look good, but we're not doing good. Some of us are doing good, but you know, our looks are, yeah, you know, we're 36. And so it's fine. Um, and, and we can just have, now if you have both, that's awesome. And you can sometimes feel like you have everything under control. You've done all the chores that you wanted to get done around the house. Like all the house projects are done. You don't have anything coming up. You, you get to, you finally paid off for that vacation that you want to take on the summer. Like everything seems to be going right. Your life seems to be going really, really good. In some ways you are very thankful because God has blessed you, but you kind of feel like you've reached the top. And this is where I would tell you this, be very very careful. In fact, I would say this, beware when you're at the top because the devil loves to tempt at the top. Go ahead, look at, look at that next verse right there. After you get done hearing about how good Joseph is doing, how good he looks. It says, it came after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said to him, lie with me. So we're gonna stop right there and we're gonna pray. Father, God, as we just speak, God, as we talk about the things that you have for us, God, as we talk about what it's like to be at the top, God, as we talk about what it's like to resist temptation, Father, that you would speak to us, God, in whatever way you have, that, Father, the scripture says that it will not return void. So, Father, there is something for us to take away from here today. God, for those of us that maybe we haven't made that relationship with Jesus Christ yet, we're just here checking things out, I pray that today that person would at least lean their ear in to hear what it is that they would be able to be a part of. Because, God, your will and your presence is so, so amazing. So, God, we give you the rest of this time. In your name we pray. Amen. So the devil tempts you at the top, right? And there's a reason, right? First of all, I want to I make sure I say this. I put together um, a lot of my sermons. I usually like will chat back and forth with a couple of people, Pastor Charlie Headley, Robert, Pastor Dylan, those kinds of things. So I was talking with Pastor Dylan as we were getting ready for the sermon. 
This is probably like Tuesday or Wednesday. And we're just kind of like, hey, what should we talk about? And I was kind of going from the, from the stance of, hey, sometimes life happens and Joseph is ready for when life happens, which that is true, right? Like sometimes life just happens and, and you need to be ready. But Dylan gave me a really good kind of, he, he wanted me to see something. And it was very important. He says, Charlie, you want to make sure that you don't just say life happens, but that there's a devil trying to tempt you when you're at the top. Like he wanted that to be very clear. And, I, and as I was thinking about that, I was like, oh my gosh, you're so right. Because so many times I can just blame things just like, oh, that's life, that's life. And I forget the fact that there is an actual devil who is trying to tear me down. Like that he has a plan, right? That he has waited till I got to the top of something because he knows this, that the devil knows that when you're at the bottom, not saying that the devil doesn't tempt you at the bottom or anywhere in between, but the reason the devil waits for you sometimes to reach the top is because when we reach the top, we can often look at what we have done and start focusing on what we have done. And that's the reason we got to top instead of looking at what God has done. It would be like this. It would be as if you climbed a, a, a really big mountain. And you took that whole, that whole journey, right? And it took hours and hours and hours. And you finally get to the top. Now at the top is when you should really get to gaze on what, like kind of where this mountain kind of got you, get to gaze on the beauty that God has made, right? But imagine you take your mind and your eyes off of that beauty and you begin to look at the trail, that dirty trail, all those steps you had to take. And you begin to tell yourself, man, that's so good. I can't believe I made it to right here. And your eyes begin to shift on what God has done and begin to shift down on the trail that you conquered, that you feel you conquered. And a lot of times when we get to the top of things, that's what happens, right? We finally get somewhere, we accomplish something, we do something, and a lot of things we tell ourselves is we kind of know that God was there, but really we begin to really, you know, just believe in ourselves. And like, man, I worked so hard to get here. I'm so proud of myself. I can't believe I did it. And we begin to focus not on what God has done, but what we did to get there. And the devil understands that. And this is what he knows. He goes, the moment you begin to take your eyes off the, that the Lord was with you and you begin to look on the works that you did, that's when the devil comes in. Because he's like, you've finally taken your eyes off of what truly saved you. And now I get to try and drag you back down this mountain and drag you back down to where I am. So if you're at the top of a mountain or anytime you get there, beware. This is what F.B. Meyer says when he talks about uh, the temptation says we may expect temptation the days of prosperity and ease rather than those of privation and toil not on the glacier of the not on the glacier slopes of the alps but in the sunny plains of the cabana not when youth is climbing audaciously the steep ladder of fame but when he has entered the golden portals listen not where men frown but where they smile sweet exquisite smiles of flattery it is there it is there that the temptress lies in wait the moment you begin to start to believe that the reason you're at the top is because of you is the exact moment the devil will try and tear you down. Because he understands there's no strength in you. It's not because of anything that you did. Maybe you did work hard. And just like we see from Joseph, we know that he worked hard. But his success didn't just come from his hard work ethic. It became because the Lord was with him. So for those of you that are at the top, beware, because the devil is waiting, he is prowling, his temptress is right there. Maybe it's a, a sensual temptress, maybe it's a materialistic temptress, maybe it's a power temptress, I don't know. But there is something there that is waiting to pull you down, and you need to be ready for that. And Joseph is ready for it. You want to see his response? Let's keep going. Ooh, my Bible's upside down. Let's keep going. But when he refused, he said to his master's wife, behold, 
With me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. He has put me, he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Now, I just want to stop right there. Does that language sound familiar to anybody? That you can have everything except one thing? Sounds like, sounds like the Garden of Eden, right? You can have anything in this whole garden. You can have anything you want except for that tree. And human nature, let me tell you about human nature, your nature, your selfish nature, all right? I don't mean to be mean to you, but you're kind of selfish. Everybody is. Your selfish nature is always going to want kind of what you can't have. That's going to just be the way it is. That you are going to see something in your brain, you're going to determine that because you can have it, you should have it. Because it's there, then you should be able to take it. Because you can buy it, then you can buy it. Then you should buy it. And we have this very self-deserving nature about us that tells us, hey, you know what? If I can get it, then I should get it. And nothing should be an exception for that. And Joseph understands the truth that God has, that sometimes you need to accept the fact that there are exceptions, that you actually can't have everything you want, even though you could take it or have it or, or grab it. That there needs to be the idea in your head that not everything that is there, that is in your reach, that you should take hold of. Paul says it like this. He goes, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. He goes, you need to be careful. You're, yes, everything, yes, you could reach out and take whatever you want, but should you? That's a question you got to ask yourself. Just because you can have it doesn't mean that you should have it. And Joseph understands this, right? He's thinking, dude, hey, listen, everything in this house I can have except you. And he accepts the fact that there is an exception here because Joseph understands this, that even though he is in a pagan man's house, even though he is working for someone that possibly has killed people of his own kind, that God has placed him there and that he is supposed to serve Potiphar with everything he has and not break his trust. And he understands this, that if he is there and God has placed him there, that he will do everything he can to serve Potiphar and not break his trust. And if Potiphar says, hey, you can't have my wife, then Joseph totally accepts that. That's the exception. I will not take that because God and Potiphar had said, that is not for me. And then listen to this. Read, read just one more little line down. And then he says, and then how could I do this great evil and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. I mean, this is not just like one day, one time thing. This is constantly, every day, she's coming up to him, coming up to him. And, and Joseph's at the top. And at the top, we have seen so many men and women fall because they have shifted their eyes from, from what God has done in their life to like what they have done. And in this case, it would be so easy to do what is wrong. And yet Joseph keeps choosing to do what is right. It would be so easy for him to just say, you know what, I kind of deserve this. I was taken from my house. She wants it. It's going to be fine. I have everything in the house anyways. Why would this be a big deal? It would be so easy to just concede and just say, you know what, if I do this, I'll just get off my back. It'll be done over with. I don't have to deal with it every day. So easy for him to do what is wrong, but he still chooses to do what is right, even though he's at the top, even though he's exactly where the devil would love to tear him down. How does Joseph do it? Wouldn't that be an answer that all of us would want, right? To understand how we could resist temptation, even when it comes for us day after day after day. How is it that Joseph is able to do that? Well, I believe this. I believe it's because Joseph has a stained faith and not a painted faith. And I'm going to explain what that means in it right now. Um, for some reason, when I was young, a painter hired me to work for him for six months. 
Um, I noticed that I said six months, right? Because it was a bad six months for me. Um, I'm not, I'm not a good, I'm not good at that stuff. I'm not good at like, you know, I can work hard, but like the excellence part, you're just going to have to, you know, you're gonna have to give me a C and be okay with average. So, um, but we would paint things, right? That's what we do. We usually sand it and then paint over it. And this is what you know about paint. Like paint lies on the surface, right? And you can paint with a brush and, and all kinds of stuff. But then they have these really big, those spray painters, right? They kind of, you could spray like a whole house, like in one shot or like cabinets or anything like that. So we know that paint, what it does is it sits on the surface and it dries. And I might have to take a couple coats so you don't see the grains of wood and it looks kind of like this. But we understand that that's how paint works. Paint lies on the surface and it creates something. And a lot of times here, and a lot of you, I would say, we have painted on faith. It lies on the surface. It does everything it can just to look kind of good. It, it goes to church because it's what it's supposed to do. But don't really listen. I'm just here. You, you, you read, maybe you even read the Bible, but you don't know what it's saying. You're just reading your chapter just to be out. Maybe you just get the verse of the day. You say, cool verse, and then that's like your Bible reading time. But you don't let it soak into your soul or anything like that. It's just painted on. In fact, your whole goal with painting on your faith is just try not to sin. Because if I don't sin, then I'll look like a Christian. But this is the thing about paint. Is that at any moment, any friction could take this paint off. If I took my keys and I were just to scratch it, you would be able to see the wood underneath, right? If I were to take a paint stripper and pour it over the paint, it would curl up and, and fall away. You would see what's underneath, right? If I were to take sandpaper and I were to rub it just for a little bit, just for a little while, you would be able to see the grain underneath, right? You see, painted faith will never be able to endure the friction of life. Things are gonna happen in life and every time they do, you know what people are gonna see? They're not gonna see the Lord, they're gonna see you. They're gonna see how you handle it. They're gonna see the way that you as a human handle your business. And you're gonna fall into temptation and, it's gonna be, and you're gonna be so upset when any kind of friction comes your way because it scratches your surface and now you don't look like a Christian. Now you gotta go back and repaint and do the whole thing and you get so frustrated that maybe sometimes you're just like, you know what, forget it. It's not worth it anymore because it's too much work to keep painting on my faith. But like I said, I don't believe that Joseph had paint, had, had paint for his faith. I believe he had a stained faith. Have you ever worked with stain before? Okay, I'm, I'm acting like I know what's going on. Believe me, this is just a preacher trait, okay? I'm just gonna tell you the little bit that I Googled and we're gonna be good with it and you're gonna believe it, all right? That's fine. But I do know this from Google. I do know, and I've, and I've, and I, I've done this once or twice before, but, but stain, you don't, you don't spray on. And something, at least the stain I've used before, it's something that you dip a rag in. You usually wear gloves, because if you don't, it's gonna get all over you. And you dip a rag in, and you, or you pour it onto the piece of wood, and then you massage it into the wood, right? And it soaks deep in the wood. If you have, so, if you have like a soft piece of wood, it'll soak deep into the fibers of the wood, and it will stain the wood. And you'll still see the wood grains, you'll still see that, but it'll be so deeply stained that if I were to take keys and I were to try to cut it, you wouldn't be able really to see, you'd see a gash, but you'd still see the stain. If I were to take sandpaper and I were to rub it just a little bit, you would maybe see a lighter color, but you would still see the stain. Like it's so soaked deep into the wood that if anything were to happen, if any friction were to come, it might jog, it might, jostle me it might it might you know kind of get me a little bit but it's not going to show anything but who I have faith in C.S. Lewis puts it like this when he talks about the first job of a Christian he says your first job is all your wishes and hopes when you wake up 
for the day, rush at you like wild animals, and the first job shove them all back. In listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other quieter, larger life come flowing in, and soon on, all day, standing back from all of your natural fussings and frettings coming in out of the wind, it is the difference between paint merely laid on the surface and a dye or a stain which, sho which soaks in right through. You see, when you have stained faith, when you have a stained love for the Lord, it is a deep abiding love. You actually don't worry about not sinning just because it might look bad. You worry about not sinning because what kind of great evil and wickedness would I do against my God? Why would I ever hurt my father like that? It doesn't come out of a place where, man, that might look bad for me. It comes out of a place of sweet, deep love for the father saying, I just don't wanna do that to my father. I don't want to hurt my family like that. I don't want to ruin this relationship that I've gained so much traction in. I want to keep it wide, not because it might look bad for me, but because I deeply love the Father so much. That's why I don't want to sin. I don't want to fall into this temptation, not because it might look bad on the surface, because deep inside of my soul, I know it would hurt me because it would hurt the Father. And when you read scripture, you don't just read it to click out of the day, but you read it and you apply it to your life, even when it's difficult. When you wake up in the morning, and you have all these goals that you have for the day. I'm going to do this, do this, do this. That you shove those all back and you allow the spirit to speak to you, to soak into you. And you allow him to tell you what it is that your true goals will be. When you have fear and frettings and you're angry about the things that are going on in this world, that you shove those all back and you allow the spirit to work in you and let you know how you should view this world. That's a deeply stained, soaked faith. And too many times, sorry Christians, we have painted faith. Something that so could easily be just wiped away. And I'm calling us, I'm asking us to not have that kind of faith anymore, but have a deep faith that even when the terrors of this world come against us and they gash our pieces of wood and they gash our faith, that we do not show them the human nature of what we should do. We show them the Jesus Christ that lives so deeply inside of us. That's what I'm calling us to. That's what he's calling us to. I ain't calling you to Jack. He's calling us to that. And Joseph has this kind of faith. And so every day he can turn to the temptress and say, no, I won't. No, I won't. No, I won't. So much better than some of us. No, I won't. Until one day the temptress has just had enough and she will do anything to get him to lie with him. And so she grabs him by the arm and she says, when no one else is around, grabs him by the arm and says, you will lie with me. And he is so obedient to the father that he allows her to rip off his cloak and he flees out of the out of the place and it is just so you know in hebrew culture to run away naked is one of the most shameful things you can do to be naked in the presence of others but he believes this that he would rather endure the shame of nakedness than fall into the trap of the temptress and so he flees he runs away and she has this cloak and do you know what she does she calls in all the other servants and she says look Joseph tried to lie with me, and look, this is the proof. I have his coat. And when her husband comes home, listen to what she tells him. She says in verse uh, 16, so she left his garment beside her until his, ma until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, that Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me, and I raised my voice and screamed. So he left his garment beside me and fled outside. 
just a bold-faced lie of what this whole situation has been about. And now when his master heard the words of his wife, which he spoke to him, saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him in jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. Now I want you to take this and put it into the modern context of us. That imagine there was someone who was falsely accused of something that you knew wasn't true because the point of the view of the reader is you know that this story isn't true and yet the rumors and the lies are being spread about joseph and in our modern day context imagine the social media posts all the things going on and think about how angry you would get about the injustice that someone could lie about someone else and that they would be falsely imprisoned think about how how angry you would get think about the posts you would write think about the text message you would send if you knew one of your friends were falsely imprisoned for something that they did not do we would be so angry we would be so upset we would be just we just can't understand that even though joseph did what god asked him to do that he would still end up in prison we would actually ask ourselves where is God? How come he's silent right now? How come he's not speaking up for Joseph? How come he's not letting Potiphar know that this is what happened? How come he's not coming to Joseph's defense? How come he's remaining silent? And we would get angry and we would get upset. Why? Because this has happened to us, right? That you've done what you're supposed to do. You've, you've accomplished the will that God had for you. You obeyed the Father when he told you to do something. And then you know what you got in return? You got lied about, you got rumored about, people gossiped about you, and you cannot understand why God didn't come through. But see, Joseph, he doesn't have that attitude. Why? Because his faith in the Lord is so stained, is so deep inside of him, that God, that he, he understands this, that he will obey God with no expectations. And, and let, me, let me explain to you what I mean. That Joseph's not obeying God so he gets stuff. Like sometimes a lot of us obey God. Like some of us obey God because we figured like, hey, if I get saved and I obey God, then my life's gonna end up real good. I'm going to have the money I want. I might not have all the money, but I'll have at least have enough to have in savings, and I'll be able to do all the things I want. I'll be able to take vacations when I want. Everything's going to turn out so good for me, and all I have to do is obey God's commands. And I'm telling you, look at this scripture, because Joseph did everything he could, and he obeyed God fully, and it landed him in prison. But why isn't he upset? Why would we get so upset, and yet Joseph in the story isn't upset? Joseph understands two things in this. Number one, he understands that even his life being saved is probably a miracle in itself. I mean, he's accused of raping a high-ranking official's wife. Do you think the punishment for that is jail? Especially when it's the chief of the executioners, it's the chief of the bodyguard? His punishment should have been death. Now, maybe, maybe uh, Potiphar knows that this has happened before, and he probably maybe suspects his wife. So maybe he knows that death wouldn't be right or maybe God intervenes. I don't know. It doesn't say in the story. But we know that his, his punishment should have been death. But even beyond that, Joseph's not even upset about being in prison. How? How could you not be upset about that? Well, I want you to read just this, this first little sentence in that next verse. In fact, I'm just going to read it on the screen. This is just the next that he was there in jail and then verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. And you see this happen all throughout the story. 
that the author keeps putting in the Lord was with Joseph. And the reason the author is putting that in the story is because any reader, when they're reading it in this time, they believed that gods were kind of sanctioned to certain regions. So there was the Hebrew God, and in their land, he was God. And then if you were to go to the Egypt, Egyptian uh, place, then the pagan gods, they would be God over that region. And then all of a sudden, the reader is reading, and he's seeing that like God from the Hebrew land is also God in Egypt. He's like, that's how powerful our God is, that he can cross the, the borders and he, and he can still be God. And then you see the author say that not only can he be, be God in a foreign land, he can be God in a foreign prison. And Joseph understands this very important point, that even though everybody thinks that he fled the woman to end up in prison, Joseph knows that he ended up in prison because he fled the ultimate prison. And the ultimate prison doesn't have anything to do with the walls that he's inside. It has to do with being outside of the Father's will. You see, Joseph understands this, that the greatest place he could ever be is with the Lord. And where is the Lord? He's there with Joseph in prison. And too many times we want God to show up in the palace, and God was with Joseph in the palace. But guess what? When God was silent, he followed Joseph to the prison. And if Joseph had just slept with the woman, then what Joseph would have done is he would have had the presence of the father and then he would have stepped outside of that presence. And outside of that presence, even though it looks good, it looks like he can have it and it's fine and it won't be any big deal. Why? Because he's already done so many good things for God. What's the deal? What's the big deal about this one thing? But Joseph understands this, that the moment that he steps outside of that father's will, the moment that that peace is there, that, that wealth is there, that the palace doesn't mean anything to Joseph if it's outside of the father's will. And so the moment that he flees that, 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 that temptress, he actually flees the ultimate prison about walking outside of what the father has for him. And now Joseph is totally content, even if he's in prison. Why? Because the Lord is with him. You see, we look at things and say, God should come through for me. And so I should have prosperity. I should have this. I should have my dream job. I should have all this kind of, kind of stuff. And we look at life and say, because I obey God, I deserve this. And I'm telling you this, Christian, that the only thing we deserve and the only thing we should even desire is to be one with the Father. It's to be right there in his will. That there is no amount of wealth, there is no amount of power, there is no amount of, of men or women sexually that could ever take the place of just sitting inside the Father's will. And, Jesus, and, and Joseph understands this, that even if I'm in prison, if I'm inside the Father's will and he is with me, there's no place I'd rather be. It's the way the psalmist says it. Remember when he says, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. But Pastor Charlie, I want to be in the palace. I'd rather be there. I understand you'd rather be there. But is your desire to be in the palace or your desire to be in the presence? Which one? Because sometimes you don't get both. Sometimes to be inside the Father's will means that you need to flee from sexual morality and people are going to be saying all kinds of stuff about you, grabbing rumors left and right. But if you are within the Father's will, guess what? You're going to be okay. I'm not saying that physically you're not going to be hungry or tired or emotionally you're not going to be drained, but I can tell you this, that within that will, there's hope. And when you walk outside of the Lord, even if you're at the top of the world, the minute you walk outside of his will, you find emptiness. You find loneliness. And everything you thought you had all of a sudden becomes empty. Remember the rich young ruler in the scripture? And he walked away sad. You can get to the top of the world and think that it's all amazing. 
But the minute you're outside of the Father's will, it doesn't matter what the palace looks like, it just comes crashing down. And yet you could be in the prison and in his presence, and there's no place you'd rather be. Better one day in that court than thousands elsewhere. We need to stop trying to obey God with expectations that he's going to come through in the physical things in this life and understand this, that our identity isn't locked down in the physical, it's locked down in the eternal. And just to simply be in his presence is all that you need. It's the greatest wealth, it's the greatest prosperity that you could ever have. It doesn't matter the physical location. When your spiritual location is right there within what the Father has for you, no place you'd rather be. And so what about you? How are you doing with that? How many of you have painted on faith and you're just trying to look the part? You just gotta look it. And God has been trying to speak to you every morning, but instead of shoving back the dreams and the goals of this world, you just shove back that voice. You've had dreams of what you feel you should be, but they're so scary and, they're so, and they're so, they, they create such a fretting and a fear in you that you decide to shove back that still quiet, larger voice in your life and you just allow the world to give you your own goals and your own dreams and your own desires. The Christian walk asks us to have deeply stained faith, a deep love for the Father that says, God, I don't know what you have for me, I don't know what it looks like, but I'm yours. I'm, I'm a, I told the first services, I'm, I'm like just some kid from Atascadero, like some little small town of like 20,000 people. We had one junior high, one high school. I, I was in the yearbook one time all four years, the one where you have to take the picture and look cheesy, right? I was usually in the middle. That's it. But I will say this, and I said last service, I said I was dumb enough, and then someone came up and said, well, you shouldn't say dumb, you should say brave enough. So I will say this, I was dumb enough to be brave enough to do what God asked. And they weren't big things. Let me tell you, they weren't big things. They weren't these huge, crazy, audacious, like, hey, you're gonna speak in front of people on a Sunday morning. You know what it was? It was just a little yes. It was, hey, Charlie, you should go to summer camp. Okay. Hey, Charlie, you should, you should go to the altar. Okay. Hey, Charlie, here's, here's, here's the word I have for you to speak in tongues. You should speak it. Okay. Hey, Charlie, I know you're wanting to be a marriage and family therapist, but maybe you should do the internship at your church instead and just get some experience in the church. Okay. Hey, Charlie, don't, don't, don't turn down the opportunity to preach during your internship because you might like it, even though you hate speaking in front of people. Okay. Hey, maybe you should go to Vanguard University and go to that college because maybe, maybe, maybe you'll learn something there. Okay. Hey, you know what? You should be a volunteer youth pastor in Whittier. Okay. And it was a bunch of these little yeses, just a bunch of these little yeses that led me to the point where I just, where I just kept inside the Father's will. And like I said, I was just dumb enough to be brave enough to just say yes. And guess what? Every single person in here, you're also dumb enough to be brave enough. And she love you got insulted and bravery all in one, right? You are also. And some of you are operating outside of the Father's will and you can't figure out why things, why even though things seem to be working out, they're not working out. And all I'm asking you is this, is take that step right inside. Let that stain be so deep in you. Let your love for the Father be so deep in you 
that it's not about not sinning. It's just about this love for the Father that you would be able to say, why would I do such a great wickedness? Why would I sin against my Father? That's what he's calling some of you out today. And maybe you're here today and you're like, Charlie, I'm so outside the Father's will. I can never come back. I can never work myself back. Can I, can I tell you something that will be both, uh, that you'll feel bad and good about this at the same time? You're right, you can't. You cannot work yourself way back into the Father's will. Christ already did that. Christ made a way so you could repent of your ways and that you could have a path right inside in the Father's grace and his will. And the Holy Spirit today can start speaking into your life about the things that he wants you to do. And listen, he's not gonna call you and say, okay, you gotta do this next week. He's just gonna ask you for a little yes. And all you have to be able to say is, okay, okay, I'm good, I'll do it. That's the opportunity we're gonna give you right now. So you bow your head with me, close your eyes. For those of you in this room, I'm gonna talk to you for a minute. You're not really about this Christianity thing. You came to check it out and there's something in your heart that you yearn to be a part of it, but you're just not sure how. I'm gonna give you the opportunity. Because I strongly believe this, there's nothing greater in this world than to be in his presence and in his will. And I want you to have the opportunity to say yes to that today. So if you would like today to give your life to Christ, to allow him to be the Lord of your life, all I want from you is with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want you to look at me and don't stop looking at me until I see you. So go ahead, put your eyes up and look at me. I see you. Don't look down. say I see you but you have to understand this God sees you and that is so important he's been seeing you in fact one of the reasons you're here today is because he saw you and he's been working in your life and he has something great planned for you so with every head bowed every eye closed can you just repeat that to me Father I give you my life be the Lord of my life forgive me of my sins I allow you to be my savior I want to walk in your will. I want to do what you ask. Holy Spirit, right now, if you could, if you could work on the, on, the, on the hearts that are in this room today. God, for those that raise their eyes today, I pray that you would speak to them life. God, you would be giving them life, the life that they have so searched for. Father, that you would let them know that you have plans for them, but they, they're, they're plans that are going to take little yeses, and that, Father, all they need to do is just follow and follow and follow. Let your love for them and their love for you become so deep down, soaked so deep down into their soul that, God, they can feel your presence even right now. And, God, for those in this room, God, who are Christians but have painted on faith, God, I pray that your spirit would convict those of us that have that. 
that, God, we would not allow the worries and the frettings of this world to scrape off our testimony. God, we would not allow our faith to be so easily worn down, but, God, we would allow our faith not to be paint but to be stained. God, that it would seek deep down into our, into our souls, that, God, it would seek deep down into what you have for us. God, that we would wake up in the morning and push back the goals that we have set for ourselves. And God, we would allow your spirit to speak to us and so on and so on all day. That God, yes, we would work hard for the people you've placed us under. But God, we wouldn't expect our obedience to you to come with pay raises and job promotions. That God, we understand that the greatest gift we could ever have is just to be obedient to your presence and to your will. And so Father, we thank you for that. And let us walk in that. We love you, Father. So in your name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.